0: Hi. Hello. Hey. How you doing? So good. Welcome back to the Wine About Birth podcast. We are three birth professionals and best friends, and we're here to talk about what it's really like to live in the world of birth.
1: It's not all glitter and rainbows, or as we like to say, it's a lot more shit than giggles. I'm Kim Haynes, and I work at a busy birth center and a small home birth practice. I'm Meredith Rao. I also am a
2: midwife and work at a home birth practice, but apparently I'm also a registered nurse birth assistant, and we'll probably go to birth in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unexpectedly
0: <laughs> and i'm jess mckee i'm a doula and a birth assistant at same said small out of hospital practice i got it right that time guess back. who doesn't have to go to a
1: birth today and is drinking this bit of wine right yeah, out of the bottle that. Me. and me cheers cheers <laughs> Ooh, oh, this being off
2: call wasn't as exciting as i thought it was gonna be I'm still because
1: because you're still on call. because <laughs> i sucked you back into <laughs> premiere because you know you love us
0: And we forgot to bring, so we're recording for the first time in our office and we forgot to bring cups. So me and Kim are literally drinking our wine out of the bottle, which for me looks really crazy because it's a large bottle of wine. It's not even a normal bottle of wine.
2: It doesn't look that crazy to me. That looks pretty standard. Looks pretty normal. Looks pretty normal. Nothing to see here. I'm Move drinking along. out of a piece of pottery one of my clients made for me like 8 years ago.
1: Yeah, she's chugging the water because one, she might go to a birth and two, she has an ear infection that won't go away. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we just
0: talked
2: about my ear infection, but that was like that was
0: like Six our first. Ago. That was like our first or second episode that you had an yeah. ear infection, and we said, "Well, what does your dentist say about that?" And then we called it ear infection a lot. I don't remember any of this <laughs> at all. And Kim yeah. goes, "Kim goes, does he put it in your ear?" <laughs> yeah, I don't remember
2: that. That was solid. That was gold. I don't know. <laughs> I say a lot of stupid things. I do want to shout out That's to Doctor D at Active Health Chiropractic because literally within three hours of leaving his office, I just started like draining real hard. So, well, Care. We've been telling you be
0: since. We started this podcast when you had that ear infection. Like the chiropractor
1: will help you with your I, ear to help it no, drain. Jess, and then yesterday when's the last time
0: you went to the chiropractor, Jess.
1: Uh, my ear is not swollen. Guilty. <laughs> no, but it will be one day, and then you'll get the same. You'll develop
2: some kind of a problem that six months of chiropractic care would really help with.
1: And then when you go in for an acute problem, you'll get the same talking to that <laughs> Meredith got this morning.
2: The last time apparently I went to birth the, workers are the worst at The last care. time I
0: went we to the we chiropractor was when I was pregnant and shortly after, and I brought my babies. And ever since then I've been I've been okay. I mean I should go, but I'm not.
1: You just think you're okay, but you're not. Your body's just used to working at suboptimal conditions. You're probably so, right. If I
0: went to see Dr. Daryl right now, your Atlas he'd is probably, probably completely out of He'd, whack, just he'd like probably that. like adjust me and a floodgate of like horrendous tears would like fall out as all of my Can trauma I just.
1: Oh, that's the problem. You're subluxated in your feeling section. Yeah,
0: my feelings are getting swollen. That's why I'm getting a little bit more fluffy.
1: <laughs> my feelings just can't come
0: out of my you said body, you feel
1: real so I'm tone getting today. so I'm getting fatter. It's like jaundice; it's coming As out you of you.
2: Sit here with the giant bottle of wine between your legs. It's definitely I'm because I haven't it. been at the chiropractor.
1: <laughs> wine doesn't have hey, calories if you don't read them. I've
0: been I've been drinking less beer, so I'm drinking less calories lately. Anyway, that's enough about me, my feelings, my chiropractic, and how fat I'm getting and why. Um, <laughs> it's you're, our podcast take, you're perfect just take it or leave it <laughs> <laughs> We say what we want. <laughs> we do what we want. Um, we have an actual... Um, we eat what we want. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Although I did just have a Cobb salad. so we did do that. Um, today we have a kind of a serious subject, but it's a subject that we feel people have a lot of questions
2: about. and We, we have a lot of questions about it too, apparently. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So we're just going to sift through it. Um, and it's really important about informed consent because I find it's a topic people don't often really get informed consent about in our culture which i don't think is okay
1: Mm-mm. and so the
0: topic we're talking about is strep b
1: and antibiotics Ba-ba-ba. and labor so group beta streptococcus and
0: so for anyone out there who doesn't know group b strep is a bacteria bacterium <laughs> i don't know is that what it's called <laughs>
1: I mean, I you just, just looked at me like I'm the biggest <laughs> idiot on the face of the earth. I didn't.
2: I think she just wasn't paying attention. Then she looked at you. And that Definitely did. Look no, I face. heard
1: you try to say something <laughs> medical and it made me laugh because it sounded weird. <laughs> anyway. Usually you just knock it out of the park, but yeah. that sounded questionable.
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: Maybe it's the wine talking.
0: I've had literally one sip. Yeah very full bottle um so it's the a type of bacteria it's a type of bacteria that some women what what is it like 30% 30 percent of women is, yeah usually about 30 percent are naturally colonized I think it's with
2: 10 to 30 percent so it could even yeah. be as little as 10 percent yeah
0: and so some women just naturally carry it in their vagina and rectum and
2: colonize sounds really scary but it really just means that you carry it naturally in your just vagina i mean no it's not even actually well it can be it's it's in everybody's rect or like in everybody's intestines it's a natural bacteria in there yeah. But because of female anatomy it's really easy for it to pass into your vagina and if it does mm-hmm. then it can grow there and that's what colonization is it doesn't yes. mean that like you have an infection it just means yeah. that like you have a bacteria growing in your vagina and so
0: for the most part it doesn't cause any problems to you you don't have an infection There's for no some people really. who are heavily colonized it can cause you like utis and you can have a uti from strep b it
1: can cause sepsis in adults if you have ridiculous colonization hey i can read the actual definition of it if you want you mean the one that's sitting in front of me right now but i'm just like <laughs> helping jess struggle
2: through it does it say bacteria <laughs> does it say bacterium it does, uh, mm. mine says bacteria
1: mine says bacteria well mine i says, just like saying bacteria i like to give information from the cdc website because we don't always agree with the cdc yes. so i feel like it's like hey let's give some of their information yeah. For fun. We share. It's part of my, my form quote is is also
2: that. from the CDC. Yeah.
1: So it's so bacteria called group B streptococcus commonly live in people's gastrointestinal and genital tracts. It's the part of the body that digests food and includes the stomach and intestines. The genital tract is the part of the body obviously involved in reproduction includes the vagina in women. I'm really worried if some of our listeners don't know that we're not doing our jobs well in this
2: podcast. <laughs> no, I think it's.
1: What if some of our Someone listeners don't know, know what the reproductive tracks,
2: the genitals are?
1: Hey, I have people that come in that don't know what labia are.
2: Yeah, but hopefully not people who are listening to our podcast. I
1: don't know because we talk about genitals a lot. So that says most of the okay. There's so there's three holes in your genitals. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, what what's happening?
2: <laughs> this happens when we try to do one of these without drinking. There's there. an Orange
1: is the New Black episode all about the third hole. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. So it says most of the time bacteria are not harmful and do not make people feel sick or have any symptoms. But sometimes the bacteria can invade the body and cause certain infections, which is known as GBS disease.
0: Okay. So anyway, now that we have down pat what gbs is it's a bacteria
1: that yeah it's a bacteria
0: and so because it can cause some problems for the baby um women are screened well that's part they it's suggested that they are screened at 36 weeks gestation to see if they have strep b um colonization in their vagina
1: Yeah, you're supposed to scream between 36 and 37 weeks.
2: I feel like I just read online that that started in like the 90s. It's pretty standard. And then if you have group B strep, the CDC's recommendations
0: are that you receive IV antibiotics during labor to lower the rate of bacteria to try and lower um, the risk of the baby getting
1: sick from that bacteria. Right, because if the baby does get sick... Um, it can be, it could cause death, but we were talking earlier about how uncommon these infections actually are. Mm -hmm. And we're, and not to say that it's, this is one of those episodes that's just going to go in circles because we know it's dangerous. We know it kills babies, but the CDC itself will state that only 50 babies die every year from this disease. And how many are born in this country? You think we would know that i don't but it's like nothing it's that's nothing but if it's your baby then 50 babies are still 50 dead babies i feel like whenever
2: like we do informed consent for our clients we're always like here's the numbers and we recognize that those numbers are really small but we also have to acknowledge that like if it does happen to your baby it's really scary so like as a parent you just have to make that decision for yourself if you're willing to accept that risk.
0: Because the reason we like to give this information is that I find, because I feel like in our practice, we do try and give informed consent and the risks on each side, because it's not super black and white, just like, oh, give your baby antibiotics, because we do now know that there's also very real risks to and to having antibiotics, both for yourself and for your in baby. Microbiome. And so. And I find with my hospital clients, there's not really informed consent. It's just like you have strep B. Um, so when you come in labor, you're going to have antibiotics in your IV. And there's not really a conversation. And if people
2: try to decline that, I find that there's a lot of shame yeah. involved. In or that. like it's your baby will die is the answer that people get. Or I can't even tell you how many moms I've asked if they've been tested and they're like, oh, I don't know. It's like, well, did you have a swab done at around yeah. 36 weeks in your pregnancy? Like, oh yeah, I was wondering what that was for. And they don't so, even So like tell they're getting you. tested and they don't even know what they're getting tested for.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. And I had a mom before who got tested for strep B and they told her if she didn't hear anything that she was negative and they never got back to her. So she assumed she was negative. And then when she was in labor, she had ruptured membranes and didn't realize because it was like, just like a like little a bit. Leak. Um. And it turned out when she finally went to the hospital, her water had been broken for like four days and they had never told her she was strep B positive. Mm. Um, and so there was just like zero informed consent around mm-hmm. that information.
1: Group beta strep seems to be the one thing. Like there are a couple things that the medical community and, and any giving, given area will hold on to. Like... This is important. You have to do this. And I feel like in our area, group beta strep is one of them. And then the vitamin K shot is the other, but we'll talk about that later.
2: Well, I was actually just reading, like we use evidence-based birth a lot for our information. And I was just talking, like there's a statement here of like how shocking it is that there's not more research done on the efficacy of antibiotics and like the benefits and the risks of antibiotics related to group beta strep, considering it is recommended and used so widely in the US.
1: Well, if you think about that's never going to be done because that's going to lose... Millions upon millions upon maybe billions of dollars from the ph- pharmaceutical companies that are supplying the penicillin or whatever else the mom needs to take if they can't have penicillin. You almost said fart. I almost said fart. <laughs> I, I felt it. <laughs> the and phar- I pharmaceuticals.
2: It. But it's crazy because you if you fart.
1: if you look at like just <laughs> it back. I held. I held a fart back. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, so they're, they're just so adamant about the antibiotics and labor. Like if you haven't been tested, if you, like I had two premature births this week that had to deliver in the hospital and it sucked. I wasn't allowed in obviously. Um, but group beta or antibiotics were pushed on these moms because they hadn't been tested yet. But if you look at that, even the CDC statistics without antibiotics, only one in 200 babies will get a GBS infection that can that can be treated with antibiotics. One in
0: two hundred babies of moms who, who are calling t- who eyes. are positive for not one out of and two hundred out of all babies. No, I'm one sorry. One in two hundred out of
1: Babies whose moms have strep. So, so starting from the beginning, if only 30% of 10 women, to 30%. 10 to 30% of women will have group beta strep in their vagina. Mm-hmm. Out of those 10 to 30% of all women, only one out of 200 of those babies will get sick. And we're mm-hmm. not talking about death. Yeah. So, And they'll treat
0: them with antibiotics and they'll get better.
1: So these are the moms that are refusing antibiotics. They're saying that one in 4,000 babies born to gbs positive moms will get sick so the numbers are so minuscule it kind of blows my mind Mm -hmm. how intense Intense. they attack these moms for like i mean if their water was broken for an hour and they're already pushing they will put the antibiotics in while they're pushing Mm -hmm. like and so that kind of thing I guess I don't really understand I do understand big pharma they're making a fuck ton of money off of these antibiotics so they're never going to stop giving them but it just that's the one thing they seem to have latched onto, mm-hmm. and I can't really wrap my brain around it because the statistics that even the CDC offer show that it's really it's very minimally
0: minimal risk um, yeah. and I'm and not so that, saying I disagree with it yeah, I'm just pointing and so it the out The point of this episode because we are so concerned with informed consent and people being able to make informed decisions that they feel right for with their family is that we want to show both sides of that story so give the statistics about the risks of strep b um, give talk a little bit about the risks of antibiotics and babies and talk a little bit about the risk factors that make it more likely your baby will get sick from strep b so that ultimately it's not it's trying to take some of the fear out of something that mm-hmm. a lot of people can get really scared because i feel like people don't make
2: well you have to make your best good decisions, decisions from a yeah. place that,
0: that's fear-based rather right. than information-based
2: yeah well when, i well i feel like even like when we do our informed consent as midwives like we use the our anecdotal experiences of like sick babies that we've seen mm-hmm. in our conversation which like is anecdotal it's not necessarily scientific but and that's not to like instill fear, like you said, like you don't want people to make decisions in fear. But like I wouldn't feel like I was doing my job if I didn't share that. It is something that I've seen and I recognize the intensity of. So like, yeah. yeah. But it's also it's part, like, of part of our job of fear as and information.
0: professionals to not push our fear from our experiences onto other parents. Because there's other people that have had anecdotal experiences yeah. on the opposite side um, where really scary things have happened because they got treated with antibiotics i
2: feel like for me like if i have a client who's gbs positive and they decline antibiotics as long as i'm not seeing any symptoms like i'm not super i don't feel fear around that i like trust the process enough to not feel fear so i hope that like comes across and the informed consent i give but
1: I, i think there's a difference between pushing fear And using your knowledge and experience to get information. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I know that until I had a client a couple of years ago that now says, I wish I would have had the antibiotics, please share my story with people. And I do. Mm -hmm. And then I actually have had a group beta strep positive baby who almost died. So Mm -hmm. seeing that experience, I'm not bringing my fear into it, but now I will always include those two small facts yeah. while I'm sharing my information because I can't say I've never seen this and yeah. I just don't think it's a thing, you know what mm-hmm. I mean.
0: Well, why don't we start with talking about the um risk factors that makes it more likely that your baby will get sick
1: if you're colonized you with list. GPS
0: because there is a list. Did I say GPS?
2: Nice with a GPS. I GPS. always say, say GPS today.
1: And then when I'm asking for GBS um or for GPS yeah. directions i always say gbs <laughs>
0: <laughs> get it mixed up so what is the list it. of so if you if your baby falls under any of these conditions it raises the risk of your baby getting group B strep, which is important to remember as well because when we say those numbers like 1 in 4,000, 1 in 200, that's out of all the moms who have group B strep not taking into account these risk factors. Mm-hmm. So the majority of those babies could be the babies with the, these risk factors. And so this gives people something to consider when they're trying to make informed decisions.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I said 50 babies. It's 2 to 3 out of every 50 babies who develop the disease will will die. So that's like 4% of the 1200. So there's like 1200 babies that get late onset and 900 that get early onset and only 2 to 3 out of every Um, fifty will die, so four percent. Okay, sorry, I completely miss.
2: But that's not four percent of the population. No, it's four percent of the so the CDC the early onset.
1: Yeah, because the CDC the CDC states on average that about nine hundred babies develop early onset GBS disease, and twelve hundred develop late onset. And I could talk about that and antibiotics all day, but so out of out of the two thousand babies who get sick only two to three percent of that i'm sorry four to six percent will die i can't fucking do numbers
2: <laughs> that's why we're, we're not
1: so why
0: don't we before the break talk about the risk factors and then talk about like the risks in taking antibiotics versus not taking antibiotics and then after the break we can talk a little bit about um natural measures people can do or if there's like a way to like prevent GBS or change it if
2: you have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do our, our birth story of the week. So why don't you start with the risk factors? Sure. So the, the first ones I'm going to talk about are kind of the major risk factors. So you can kind of lump them up too. So if your water has been broken for a long period of time, which I think what they consider long in this study was 18 hours. Um, it, it was either 18 or 24 hours. Um, and so that's why you see with a lot of providers that if you decline antibiotics and you're GBS positive, or if you're negative and you've declined antibiotics for eighteen to twenty-four hours when your water's
1: been broken, they might start encouraging you to consider them more. Which is because interesting. That
2: risk does increase
1: because I don't think if you're GBS negative and then you are you're refusing antibiotics and then your baby does get sick, that is not they're lumping those numbers with the GBS positive moms. That's a whole. Other, like you can develop chorioamnionitis. Like you can develop other infections mm-hmm. with prolonged rupture that is not including related to GPS. Right. Yeah. So I'm not sure if they put those together or if those numbers are separated. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I don't. That's and, based and on
1: like three different studies. So we'd have to look at each individual. Also, study. the
0: more which you're going to talk about that a little bit. If your waters broken there's certain risk factors like if you're getting a lot of vaginal exams with your water broken right. or if you have an internal monitor anything that's pushing your mm-hmm. vaginal flora up into your uterus is increasing that risk that right. you could get the baby could be
2: getting colonized with that bacteria yeah, so certain provide even if like moms are gbs negative like we try to minimize vaginal exams yeah just dec- decrease the risk of bacteria being introduced in general but especially if a mom is gbs positive yeah. um, kind of connected to the first one if your water is broken prematurely which which just means you're more likely to have it broken for a longer period of time. Um, and then these two are related as well. So like if you already had GBS, if you were GBS positive with a previous infant, or if you have GBS in your urine and basically those two markers just kind of show that with the way your, your flora is, you're more predisposed to being GBS positive. Yeah.
0: People that have GBS in their urine um, shows that they're at higher risk because They found that if you test for it positive in your urine, that you have higher counts of the bacteria Mm -hmm. in general in your vagina as well.
2: Yeah. And then some less, um, less major risk factors, but still risk factors are being African-American, which we were saying earlier is probably more related to health equity than anything. Um, Being born at less than 37 weeks. Having a fever during labor. So like when I was saying earlier, I don't feel worried until I start seeing things like having a fever in labor may be an indication that a mom has an infection. So that's something we'd want to monitor and be mindful of in our decision making and informed consent. Um, An infection of the uterus, like Kim was saying, um, intrauterine monitoring during labor, which was what Jess was saying, you know, increased risk of introducing bacteria. If the baby has gotten one of those probes that they put in their head to monitor heart tones more accurately quote unquote accurately chris had that in his head when he was did he have a little scar for a while
1: yeah a little spot where it mm-hmm. popped out mm-hmm.
2: um and then actually another one that helpless is giving birth for the first time and wasn't
0: low birth weight also a risk factor that is not one that's on oh, this that's list, been in, that's been in be other in literature other literature that i've read that having i can't remember the exact weight but it was like low birth weight babies and I wonder at
1: risk like being a primate so your first pregnancy just a the longer labor maybe yeah are they, they saying likely? are they just guessing that you have a higher risk because you haven't had a pregnancy before that was gBS negative or because they're assuming that you're going to be and in I labor interpret that as more like yeah you're you're more likely to have a longer labor
2: but who knows so it I
0: always like to say that for baby so if you decline the antibiotics um there are A lot of babies, if they start to show symptoms, can be treated with antibiotics to kill the bacteria after they are sick. Now, there's two different kinds of strep B infection. There's early onset and there's late onset.
1: Early onset is from birth to... Uh, day seven, mm-hmm. and then late onset is from day seven to three months.
0: Yeah. I can... And there's some indication, there's some studies that show that there could be some late onset GBS infections that are not maternally acquired, but are hospital acquired because GBS is going to be in the hospital. Right. Um, there's also some like talking about taking like the risks of antibiotics. Like, we all know that there's a big problem with with bacteria becoming resistant to antibiotics. And the more we use antibiotics routinely, the more likely it is that those antibiotics will get, or they won't kill the bacteria anymore, which could lead to a problem in the future where we would have babies that get colonized with strep B or get sick from it, and we don't really have have a treatment option. I'm honestly
1: surprised that hasn't happened yet.
0: Yeah, I mean... I I mean, I wonder if that is happening in some cases where some of the babies are dying, Getting where it's sick, just yeah. like whatever strain that mom has is
1: just it's just not being treated. Well, and we were talking earlier, like in regards to death and late, late onset, the CDC itself says that having antibiotics in labor lowers the colonization rate, but not the death rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we know and no one knows why. Like there's no reason mm-hmm. for it, but I'm feeling what? fairly confident that it's because these babies are sick well before labor starts. So one round of antibiotics isn't going to to kill off an infection that's been happening for weeks. It might
0: delay it for a little while, like kill off enough, and then as the
1: bacteria repopulates, then the baby gets sick. And that baby's going to be born sick. But then for those who have late onset, some of them, I think, you know, they were already getting infected, obviously, and then you have enough antibiotics. It's just like if you have strep throat and you decide to treat it with antibiotics and you don't finish your... You know, seven course, days, you're just yeah. setting yourself up for a super bug. So I think yeah. some of these late onsets, they, these moms are getting antibiotics in labor. Yeah. They're getting the antibiotics, but then the baby gets sick, you know, two or three weeks later, it's because they didn't kill everything off and it's mm-hmm. coming back stronger than it was before. So some of these moms are getting the antibiotics and their babies are still getting sick.
0: Yeah. So they found that the antibiotics in labor decreases your risk of your baby getting sick, does not decrease the risk of your baby actually dying from that bacteria. And then there's also the risk that sometimes moms will get antibiotics and their baby will still get sick it's not a hundred percent thing like you got antibiotics your baby's definitely not going to get sick some babies will still get sick either way and then there's the very real risk which is what a lot of the mainstream medical is not talking about but there's so much research going on right now about the microbiome and they've already proven that like c-section babies are more at risk for um, long-term diseases like asthma obesity things like that all the way Up until adulthood because they do not get colonized with bacteria the same way that a baby born vaginally. So if you're killing off a mom's bacteria, your baby's not going to get colonized the same way as they would
2: have had you not done that. Yeah. I was going to say, like, for the people who've heard about those moms who are like, can you rub this, like, tampon on my baby after the birth? Or, like, Mm -hmm. can you, like, somehow inoculate
1: my baby with my fluids? People
2: are, like, really weirded
1: out by that. But that's the research that they're basing that decision off of. And we really encourage everyone that's interested to watch the... the documentary microbirth. It's yeah. freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, when we were part of just birth and you still are, mm-hmm. it's an amazing group. We did a screening of it for the local um, birth community and it just shows how important our microbiome is and how we really are 90% bacterial cell, 10% mammalian. And we really need to breed those good positive bacteria well, I say yeah. if our body disappeared you would still
2: be able to see every detail of our cells because in we're bacteria. so covered in bacteria and like the
0: research on our microbiome is so new like yeah. we're just like really beginning just to like so. touch the surface of it so there's so much we don't understand but it's like we're really messing with that and we don't know what we're messing with when we introduce something like antibiotics which is why we have to like weigh those things so heavily and I could say for myself like I had IV antibiotics after I had my first baby and I really really truly believe like her gut and her body and her health to this day and she's 11
1: and she was just nursing right like mm -hmm. she didn't it wasn't even in
0: utero It was afterwards when she was nursing but it her her body just did not work the same as like my daughter that was worked born two years later and she still has more things like she'll get flares up of eczema and like she had horrible colic like there i definitely think that there are very real and common risks to antibiotics and people might not even realize things that are happening with their babies are due to antibiotics yeah
2: and we were talking earlier like if you look at evidence-based birth article on gbs they talk about like what are the effects of antibiotics on the microbiome and i feel like it's not dismissive. Like obviously this is a pretty non-biased account of research, but what the research has shown in the last couple of years is that most babies microbiomes are recovering within the first year of life which doesn't sound, it's like, okay, by the first year, like their microbiome is established, it's fine. But I think what Justin and I were saying is like, I, that doesn't make sense when the research is showing that there's like such severe impacts on like diabetes and obesity and asthma, asthma and things allergens. later in life. So like we're talking about, okay, fine, we need to do the research then and figure out what that first year of your microbiome yeah. is doing to set up your health for the rest of your life. Because
0: there's, there's a lot of research happening right now that like the microbiome of babies born at home is even different than the microbiome of babies born at the hospital. Because it's like, what it's showing is that when a baby comes out, the first bacteria it encounters is is what starts to colonize it. And so, like, if a baby is picked up by its mom in a surrounding where it's your family's bacteria... Oh, my going gosh, in a
1: birth pool that your other kids have splashed and <laughs> yeah, drooled like, into, and like... And that's protective Maybe of, jumped into it without your permission. Yeah, bacteria
0: <laughs> is, like, protective of what your baby is going to be around in their childhood. But if a baby is, like, picked up by a hospital worker and they have any kind of, like, bacteria that they, they first get colonized with that or they haven't been colonized going through their mom's birth canal or their mom's birth canal bacteria is messed up from antibiotics. We just don't even understand yeah. what, what the, the consequences of that are.
1: There's so many reasons that our country has the highest death rate. Mm-hmm. in. Well, okay, We don't, I mean, it's not a good number. First world countries. Yeah. Established countries. countries. It's just, there's so many things that we're doing wrong and we just need to slowly figure out what those things are. Which is
0: why I think it's so important that parents should not be shamed if they're using informed consent and making decisions differently from what is, like, the, like, not everybody's the same. Um, and just, I, we need to go to break, but I just wanted to say, like, another very big risk to antibiotics. I don't know if you've ever given birth and then gotten a yeast infection. Oh, God. But it is awful because that happened to me i got yeah. iv antibiotics oh, i Jesus. had an episiotomy no. i was trying to heal from that and then i got a yeast infection on top of that and you're not supposed to put anything in your vagina oh my it god it was horrible yeah. and like then that's, you're in the you just even, like a
2: vicious cycle How did you even recover from that and
0: that's when it's like you're trying you're you're already overwhelmed in your postpartum and my baby was
2: screaming constantly it completely like, alters your postpartum experience
0: yeah and i i mean I, I know I can blame the antibiotics for my yeast infection. I don't know completely if I can blame it for her, like, colic or whatever, but that's all. that was my scapegoat for her being a baby from hell.
1: <laughs> I think it's a great reason. It's a yeah. great reason. Well, I think when we come back, we need to talk about, we need to include the risks because according to the CDC um gbs bacteria is the leading cause of meningitis and other bloodstream infections in newborns so mm-hmm. it, it does exist so yes, even it if it's totally only does a exist. small s- percentage of babies it's still the leading cause of these infections so how do we know when to weigh and when to go one way and when to go the other yeah it's a okay. tough decision to make all right let's go to break
0: cue the music oh yeah Our sponsor for today's episode is the one and only Gina Furtado. She plays banjo for a living, and she also teaches banjo lessons, and she's really, really good at it. Um, I've known Gina for a long time. She is a um, huge supporter of home birth and women's empowerment. And um, she actually attended my birth with Wren as um, she videotaped it for me. And I also attended one of her births, but now she is playing banjo. Um, you can find some of her songs in the Gino Furtado project. Um, she also travels around, or she did before all of this coronavirus stuff. Um, I like to go and watch her when she comes to Brightbox. So if you've never heard of her, go check her out, Gina Furtado and the Gina Furtado Project. And we will be posting a link to some of her stuff and information for people to contact her if they are interested in taking banjo lessons, which I also believe she is doing um, over the computer or Zoom right now during coronavirus. So if you want to take up a new hobby and learn the banjo or just listen to some amazing music, check out Gina Furtado all right let's go back to our episode welcome back from that delightful break um so we just wanted to finish up before we like talking about um what you were saying kim before the break about um i forget actually what it was
1: i don't know alternatives (laughs) we? we were talking about alternatives oh like chlorhexidine um garlic and things like that and i was just saying that that's a joke and i don't know why anyone thought chlorhexidine would ever be um
2: I think it's just because it's easier to access it in other countries. I guess, but so, you're
1: just washing the outside of your pajamas. So we were going to talk
0: about alternatives to antibiotics. And some people do think that using... Kim just jumped around right on <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I just... <laughs> no, there was something you said right before we went to break that you wanted to say after the... But now I can't remember, so let's just go on to
1: alternatives. When you go oh. to
2: edit this episode, you'll be like, damn yeah. it, that was it.
1: It's... I just... Oh, I wanted to say that we recognize that this is a very short one hour episode and we couldn't possibly cover more than just the tip of group yeah, to strip. Just so we just want to encourage everyone like we always do in our own practices to please do your own research because there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to GBS. The hospital will mm-hmm. tell you otherwise, and then some midwives or out-of-hospital workers will tell you the other otherwise. But the yeah. truth is, nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows what the actual statistics are. Well, There's I mean, no wrong answer. But The
2: information's are- out there, but it doesn't paint yes. a super like black and white picture yeah, like right. we just was saying. So you have to make those decisions based on your own perception. Exactly. And you were
1: saying,
0: Meredith, that in other countries that they don't have like a one-size-fits-all yeah. treatment plan they like don't we do here in the US. Approach like we do. They use a more It's called a risk based approach. Yeah. So basically they don't treat everyone with strep B with antibiotics. Positive. They test them for certain risk factors like your water being broken or mm-hmm. if you go into preterm labor, well, if you have a, a fever, fever. And those people would be treated with antibiotics, but it wouldn't be universally used across the board.
1: And there are times I'm, I'm really big on informed consent. And then there are times where I'll say, listen, I, I respect what you want to do, but I just feel like I should tell you, I feel really strongly that you should absolutely take the antibiotics right now, or you should absolutely have the vitamin K. Like I will always give my thoughts when I, f- and but I But the know- difference
2: is though, is like, we par- we acknowledge that our clients still have the right to decline that yes mm-hmm. we'll make them sign a paper saying they do to yeah. show that we did our did our due diligence to try to tell them what our feelings were about it or our perceptions on it but like that's the difference i feel like sometimes in other with other care providers Clients don't feel like they still have a choice. Like no. they're threatened and they're it's bullied. Like and it's like you're threatened with like
0: CPS mm-hmm. or like you can't leave the hospital for this many days. Yeah. Which
1: I and don't understand that. Are they worried that their statistic, like that their hospital statistics are going to go down because of this mom thinking for herself? Or are they actually worried about being sued personally for letting a baby die Maybe or it's for, a
0: combination of both
1: but it i also be think it's like too,
2: but then you're also morally not allowing a client to make a decision for themselves which is like the backbone of medicine is informed consent which and is how many like times have you heard get like away from are her? you
1: googling again or god, are you looking things things dr up? google like no yes i'm looking things up i want it, i don't want to just your opinion i want more than one opinion and research is always changing
2: so much oh my much. god, my god. And this is so even i'm even wary of
1: research sometimes it's like who did the study and this
2: is something Who's got that got money it's, in this study. That you it's just really like, have to take everything with a grain of salt. Something that a
0: medical provider and we we know, everyone knows here that it takes a really long time, especially in obstetrics in the U.S. for it's the slowest practice, changing medical field. For practice to catch Form, up yeah. with the new research. Which is why and I love so, having students. And I understand that because... Ken likes to boss us around. If you have a busy practice... <laughs> just joking. She likes to teach. <laughs> if you have a busy practice and you were just taught the way things are, like, oh... This can happen if moms don't get antibiotics and labor and you're not seeing the the other side of the moms and what they're going through later from the antibiotics and labor. And so and, I think that's and where practice comes in at yeah. some
2: point that, you know, you just kind of get to wipe your hands at the situation. Exactly. It's not your problem and anymore. And you don't have
0: time, like we've said before, you don't have time always to keep up with that latest research unless it's an article that's sat on your desk by a drug rep that says, hey, here's the latest research and here's the drug that goes along with it.
1: Yeah, I, listen, I have anywhere from six to 11 or 12 visits at most, at absolute most a day What yep. I have, which is nothing compared to what like my mom, for example, would mm-hmm. do 60, up to 60 women a day. Yeah. So there are days where a couple of people will ask the same questions. Tell me about circumcision. Mm-hmm. By the third or fourth time in one day, I do find myself going, Sigh. even oh, though God. it's information I want to share. So I can't imagine doing that 60 times in a day that's why they have a protocol hey yeah. everybody take the antibiotics we're having the end. 15
2: minutes to explain all the stuff that we're trying to explain right now this in is an hour topic yeah this normally is insane. we would cover happy vitamin yep. k thromycin gbs all in one visit and there's we're no are barely
0: way. even touching the surface yeah, I feel like we of, just the tip just the yeah. tip yeah so but then okay so there are people so i feel like we covered a little bit like the risks of not Wait, taking antibiotics say something no you're never allowed to say something this is i feel like we're all like on
2: our roll right now only so, like, if you hold something we gotta like "Uh, uh, only uh, if you hold the mic directly very in front of my face and talk slow sorry i can't (laughs) i cannot guarantee that i wanted to say too you can technically still be providing good information as a provider if your research was in the last 10 years yeah, like in nursing school, we took a whole class on using research to inform your practice, and they they were like, we can use you can use any study in the last ten years; it's still relevant. And it's like, can you imagine? Is if as a practitioner, if you were like, oh, I'm doing my due diligence. The study was from ten years ago. It's like, do you like so much changes? Like we said, it's always changing. But yet, technically, you're still giving informed consent if you're using research from ten years ago. That's insane. But you're
0: not giving informed consent if you're only giving the research, but not giving parents the feeling like they have a a choice. Right. And that's the biggest. That's the biggest problem.
1: If I can respect someone circumcising. After giving them of I think all respect of the, is
2: a strong word. I think uh, you okay. can honor their... If I can honor toys. their decision
1: and give them a piece of paper that has names on it of people who will do this genital mutilation, then I think that any other provider should be able to say, here are the facts. Here's mm-hmm. my opinion. Especially because we invest so hard You can give an clients. opinion, but you still have to... Accept
0: what they decide. Yeah. As long as those things are legal and accepted, then we do our best and then we have to step away. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, natural remedies, which is kind of a hot topic because there are some people and there is some research out there. <laughs> <face>
2: right now. <laughs> that
0: shows that women can. So I found in my practice that women who have Tend to have unhealthier vaginal flora, tend to be more likely to be colonized with strep B. True. So, women who are more prone to like yeast infections or have been on
2: antibiotics a lot. Good bacteria that are going to balance out the bad bacteria. On
1: the other end of the spectrum, some of my healthiest moms that literally sprout their own like sprouts for bread, they oh, end yeah. up GBS. Part. Yeah. Like no, I it's, don't it's see, not foolproof. I don't see any, I, I hear what you're saying, yeah. but in like, I don't, I just don't see. I don't think that that's absolute. I just find that it, there's a tendency. Like
0: I tend to see if I have a mom who's like, yeah, I tend to get yeast infections or BV or this. Yeah. They tend to test positive more often than moms are like, and I've never all, had a
1: yeast infection in my life. They all grow from the same. Yeah. Thing. Like they feed off of sugar. They feed off of not having enough lactobacillus. So yeah, I can see how that would be. So there's some people
0: and there is some research that shows that a mom who tests positive for strep B is can do a natural protocol to try and not just temporarily kill strep B because even the antibiotics in the hospital, they're just temporarily lowering, lowering right. your levels of strep B to try
2: and lower the risk I don't, to the yeah, baby. It's not so much like killing, it. it's more like balancing out your flora to set yourself yes. up for success. So there's than not some people it.
0: that, um, and I'm not going to go through the whole protocol, but it can be like first they're trying to do a thing to kill the bad bacteria while doing a very like high intensity pro good probiotics to try and replace good bacteria to keep the the strep B from growing back. Now prebiotics too. Yeah. And so there are some people who have gotten positive tests and have throughout their pregnancy or if they were positive in a previous pregnancy or if they had it in their urine in the beginning yeah done all of these things or through the last month or two of pregnancy and have been able to get negative tests and like you were saying garlic has shown that it will kill gbs in your
2: um, vagina for a certain amount of time to test negative there's never been any tests done within like a human yeah like but it'll show that you'll get a negative test but it'll come back yeah it's a temporary thing yeah
0: so somebody that's doing that like over and over and over again while replacing good bacteria there's a possibility
2: it could could change your flora if you're also adding a lot of well we also haven't talked about the fact that gbs is transient so like you could have a negative test at 36 37 weeks and then end up still having gbs infection at the time of birth or vice versa or or the opposite which is
1: another reason that i'm always shocked with okay all these things you're saying, I'm adding up all of these like, and this and this in my head. Yeah. And so you had said like, if they have GBS in their urine in the beginning, then the CDC still requires you to require it.
2: Recommends, recommends
1: um antibiotics even if you're positive in both urine and vagina at 37 weeks they're saying you still need the antibiotics i disagree with that completely if you're not positive right if okay. you're positive with you your urine wrong. i'm sorry if you're if you're urine, GBS positive in your urine but you test
2: negative point, vaginally they still recommend antibiotics at any point in time in labor yes they, but that's not what i said
0: <laughs> Or at any point in time in pregnancy, if you have it in your urine, they want you to get antibiotics and labor,
1: even if you test negative at
0: 36 or 37 weeks. Yes.
1: So if your 10-week urine is what I was saying is positive. Right. You did say, I think, I I don't think that's what you said. Sorry. That's not what I was trying to say. That's fine. We got it though. We're on it. That's, so we That's why right we now. work as a team. If you have it in your urine at any time in pregnancy, and then you go through all of these like amazing protocols to like fix your flora and make your vagina um, beautiful and glistening with nothing but lactobacillus. <laughs> it's a thing. Smells like sunshine and roses. And yogurt. <laughs> and yogurt. Then the CDC so says that doesn't matter. You still need antibiotics. Right. That blows my mind considering if you have a negative, test at 36 weeks and you don't give birth until 42 weeks they don't test you again yeah. they don't they don't offer the antibiotics and in fact
0: i had this happen recently where it had never happened before that i had a hospital client who was tested at 36 weeks didn't go into labor till 42, and so even though they tested her, and, told me about and this. forgot to test or didn't test her again, which is not standard. It's not they standard were saying to test she again. had tested negative, and when she got to the hospital in 42 weeks in labor, they were wanting to give her antibiotics because they were saying, "Well, you took the test too long ago, and so we're going to treat you There's as absolutely positive."
1: No protocol anywhere. No, but I've never that. seen that. I've seen them just not worry about it. Six it was weeks the first later. time
2: that I've ever seen yeah. that. And which it just shows how
1: subjective it all is. It's anyways, so subjective, even and that's from what providers—that's what makes me think they're just worried about covering their ass. Mm-hmm. Because if you are, oh, going, that maybe
2: they had a GBS positive baby that morning,
1: right? You just don't. know. You just have
2: no idea. So
1: if you, yeah, I don't see how they can say if it's positive in your urine in the beginning and negative later. You don't need it, but yeah, if we don't test you at all after being negative, then you still. Don't need like it doesn't make any sense. So I guess they're checking their boxes. Then if something happens, it's not their fault. Yeah, because
0: giving antibiotics covers because healthcare is about malpractice
1: now yeah and what more were you going to say about the garlic and the chlorhexidine and all that stuff because um because i have thought we on were that just too. saying that well
0: well chlorhexidine i i that's just topical though you're right it's that's just not topical to do yeah, so i never so understood why people, that was a
1: treatment if you don't if you're not douching with it to clean out I think your vagina some people
0: would douche with it i've heard of that before i found that so that's, it's an antibacterial like wash that some people, if they didn't want to take like systemic antibiotics, would wash their vagina with. Um, but I feel like that comes with like, you're still messing up your vaginal you're, flora. Yeah, that's what was shown you're was was be that I was cu-
2: actually messing up your good and flora drying, and increasing out. your yeah. risk of having an even worse infection.
0: Yeah, and and you're... You're also increasing that risk for the baby too, of not getting the good flora mm-hmm. because you're killing it. Um, so that that hasn't really been shown to be effective. Um, there's some people who, I don't know the research behind this, but there's been some that think that the herb slippery elm can help um, prevent strep B infections. And so I know some midwives, especially ones that don't have access to antibiotics because of state law. That they will make something called yoni balls to use during labor. Oh, it that's has, a fun name for them. I used yeah. to make
2: suppositories, but yoni balls are much more fun word than suppository. Yeah, that's I used to do. That. Yeah, it's like
0: suppo- it has slippery elm and has some other some other herbs in it that are supposed to be protective against strep B. And what the mom would do is she would use them as a suppository in her vagina to help prevent problems for the
2: baby yeah. during labor. But and again, they- that's just setting up for success by making the healthiest flora for your vagina as possible. But do they,
1: does inserting anything then take away from your own like natural bacteria that you're trying to seed the biodome with? It probably
0: would. I don't really, I don't really know. I can't remember the the the, way that slippery elm works against the strep B. A
2: lot of herbs that people like uh, you're seeing being used, in pregnancy are are modulators so they're actually just like encouraging the healthy growth of your own bacteria they're not going to like cancel out your own healthy growth they actually that's the beautiful thing about plants is gonna get real nerdy right now beautiful thing about is they're modulators so they can like they can accommodate based on your body's needs and that's why they've been used throughout the history of humanity to
1: heal people my thing is about like natural treatments, whether it be garlic or, or slippery elm or whatever you're doing, I don't like for people to only do that right before their test because I feel like oh, that's like, like a false. So just, for our
2: suppositories, to we
1: just started test them, negative, right? Just to test negative. Yeah, that you, doesn't.
0: But I can see how that could be helpful for someone who knows that they absolutely don't want antibiotics, exactly. regardless they of want it, like they don't whether they do treated as GBS whether positive they're positive in the or not. And so, and so like if t- if to them that's their informed consent like i don't care if i'm positive or not because there's people who who say i'm not going to test because i'm going to decline antibiotics mm-hmm. but then they'll be treated as positive even if they could be negative and that's when you start seeing a lot of so, that harassment happening yeah in the so for a person who knows for their own informed consent that they're going to be harassed and they know they don't want antibiotics um, i could see how that could actually be be a good choice for them. For you as a provider, it's just a false sense of security, but I understand how it could work from an informed consent
2: um, point of view. I, I hear what you're saying. And again, if that's the client's take on it, then I support them in that. But I'm also an argument. I like the argument of like, it helps to have the most information possible so you can make decisions. And I feel like
0: that's true for us because we offer informed consent. right? But for a mom who knows she like has a risk of having um and, cps called on right. her if she's positive and doesn't want antibiotics i can see I how you like, would want to like cheat yeah. that test
2: and i guess i also feel this way too because like i transfer with clients and so does kim so mm-hmm. like we know that we can advocate for our clients well and we like don't help. right now right that's what i'm saying though like for yeah. moms who don't have advocacy like they would have in the past because of all the current policies like that makes but more then sense. also but i feel like it's literally right in front of my no, face you're going like this I don't think to I aim am. aim it right at your face. I can see you doing it. I'm going to just put it on my mouth.
1: <laughs> put so, it on my mouth. Do these moms not, like, what if they did then um, start to develop signs and symptoms of well, an infection? Well, just like a
0: person who tested negative for real, and then they, they could have had their test four weeks ago and were positive. If their baby starts because to show signs of strep B, they're going to get tested. They're going to get treated anyway. They're going to go to get treated anyway, because that gotcha. can happen with strep B.
1: I would definitely end up supporting their decision but I wouldn't like it.
0: I don't know that I would want to know about it.
1: Because Oh no, I don't Yeah. but but i can understand
0: why people would do that is i hear you you wouldn't want
2: to know that they're taking a suppository i I wouldn't want to know that they're purposely yeah i wouldn't want to
0: know that they're purposely trying to cheat the test but if they're doing that from their own informed consent i understand why they would want to do that i would rather just have a culture of how much shame is put into not taking antibiotics yeah i would just
2: rather have a client who like does self-care throughout their yes, pregnancy and, we well, and that's what success? Well, and that's what I was going to
1: say. Like, if you're going to do garlic or if you're going to do a suppository, then maybe continue with that. If nothing else, like once a week. Or take or, probiotics. Yeah, take probiotics. But whatever you do to get that negative test, mm-hmm. maybe that's something that you could continue as self care through the remainder of the couple of weeks you have before giving birth that way if it says negative and your vagina feels healthy with these alternative methods then we should keep it negative and healthy mm-hmm. with these alternative methods don't just let it go yeah. and go back to your sugars right. and your carbs and growing whatever was in there before like if you're going to treat it before the test then treat it before your birth as well so that hopefully the baby's coming out of the same vagina that the test came from you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. and ultimately like we set said set up for success there's no conclusion that we can come to from this episode because this topic is so deeply personal for how each person yeah. assigns risks I, versus
2: benefits. I can't believe um, how little we've actually talked so it's just, about. It's just covering Seriously. information
0: from different viewpoints because there's some people that have only heard one viewpoint and they never think of it mm-hmm. from the other side. Um, but I think it's time. I think that we've covered as much as we can about that. And if you guys have any questions about anything else, like there's so much, I research, have a question. Let us
1: know. That you might know off the top of your head because you're a numbers gal. Maybe I will. Maybe you will. So for I've had moms, countless actually, um, their babies come out and there are no signs of infection, none Mm -hmm. at all, none. But the mom was GBS positive. They had antibiotics.
0: Well, we're going to talk about that as our birth story of the week. I know, but that's not what I'm
1: getting at. Oh, I have another question. You want okay. to one with that My number. question is when the doctor says we are going to treat your baby starting right now mm-hmm. with antibiotics, antibiotics while we wait for their test to come back, because once the baby gets sick, then they could die sooner mm-hmm. than what the antibiotics could help with. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this numerous times yeah do you have any personal thoughts on that since we tend to be on the opposite ends of the for
0: people that already tested and their baby showing signs of sickness. no signs no signs the mom is positive and the so mom basically at that point they're just signs. treating
2: for early onset and late onset
0: i mean i don't have any statistics or answers about that i feel like that would just fall under the umbrella of everything we're talking about because you're taking that risk again of antibiotics in your baby, which is a real risk. I also Um, feel, I feel like people have the right to say no to that. Like, and I just know from myself personally, and this is not, um, I don't push this opinion on other people. Like it's super important to me to avoid antibiotics for me and my family, unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like for me as, as a, as a person who, if I was in labor, I would not feel comfortable with that because I would not feel comfortable with giving my baby antibiotics just in case right. they might get sick, considering how low the numbers are of baby mm-hmm. that a- babies that actually die from this, which Sh- is
1: two to
2: four percent of babies that get sick also yeah. um. I read that ninety eight percent of infants are gonna show symptoms within the first twenty four hours of yeah. life. So I know that there are cases obviously where it manifests much later, but the mm-hmm. majority of them are going to start manifesting. So I could I would even say, like for clients who know that, you could say Just be more watchful to watch for the symptoms. Right. Watch for symptoms in the first twenty four hours and then you can decide based on what how the first twenty four hours goes if you would like to move forward. That might be how I would present it as a potential way to approach that.
0: yeah i guess it depends some people have no problem with giving And there their was kids no answer to that i was just no wondering and some people have no problem with giving their kids antibiotics and they'd rather like not for, have t- to worry them, about it their idea of being safe than sorry is giving the antibiotics where for other people being safe than sorry be rather be, safe, be safe than sorry is avoiding the antibiotics, the antibiotics. Yeah. um and so that's where it's like it's just such a deeply personal decision and i don't think people should be shamed for how they feel about that because even the science on antibiotics, we don't know what we're doing to our bodies. And we're realizing that now that we've had like what, a hundred years of antibiotic use, we're realizing that we're effing up a lot that we didn't really realize we were. And we're changing the way our bodies work. Sorry, that, I'm just laughing because you said
1: effing up. I know. <laughs> I mean, we don't have super bugs for no reason.
0: I know. Right.
1: So I know we're going to do the birth story, but we were talking story um,
0: of the week
1: at some point before the episode that, Having a baby die from antibiotic use is super rare. Super rare. And but having, it happens. It happens. And having but, a baby die from GBS is also rare. So then maybe you could tell because there's because babies can be allergic to antibiotics just like adults mm-hmm. can, and
0: Especially, you don't like, know what you don't know if your baby is allergic to antibiotics until they have a reaction, and so there is a small. But real chance that even if you're being given antibiotics intravenously while you're pregnant, if your baby is allergic to that antibiotic, that your baby could have a reaction in utero or that your baby could have a reaction to antibiotics even postpartum. And I do know one person who's was given an antibiotic for an infection while she was pregnant and her baby was allergic to that antibiotic and her baby died and she had a stillbirth. Um, so it and does. So that so does, does happen, happen as well. It's
2: very rare, but it it can happen like just like anything else. People can trying to look to up things. the numbers. Cause I know in i I'm pretty sure the stats they have around anaphylactic shock to antibiotics is in adults and it's one in a hundred thousand. Um, But I wanted to see if there was any data about like fetal responses.
1: And I just wanted you to like tell that quick little. Because you'll you'll have doctors look at you and say, that is not, that is so rare. Like we don't even think about that. But so is GBS But babies dying from GBS
0: is also so rare.
1: Right. And then you'll have a lot of like, you know, you go from your medical to your super hippie. And I don't mean that in a, you know, I consider myself more hippie, but you're more hippie than me. So, Sexy and crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have midwives or out of hospital OCD birth and workers of yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> um, all the things they'll say, it's so uncommon. We don't even, we don't even test for, it. I've heard of some midwives sending, um, this is really weird. There is a midwife, not here, not in this state. I want to repeat that not in Virginia, but in another state who sends out GBS swabs that have never touched a vagina and they come back positive.
2: Hmm. I've heard of that. Well, I mean, it's like, because any she's, test, doing false it, positives false she's doing it. Positive and false. She's doing it to test
0: the efficacy of the test you're using to decide whether there right. is so, antibiotics for a mom in labor, which
1: is crazy to me. Like all of it.
0: But cross contamination happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. If strepies in a lab, it can be cross-contaminated.
1: Exactly. So I don't I just thought I was like, What? She's doing that? And, and yeah, just to see what would happen. And yeah. she's gotten more than one positive on a swab that's never touched a vagina. So it just go like GBS, antibiotics, it, it goes so much further than just birth. Like, oh, yeah, everything is involved. Like there's big pharma and little people like there's yep. so much involved in what we do.
0: So do your research and make decisions that feel safe for you, because if you make decisions that make you feel safe, you're ultimately going to release more happy hormones that are going to make your labor go smoother anyway. So which is always my mantra. Yeah.
1: <laughs> mantra <laughs>
0: mantra. Wow. Let's do our birth story. Oh, wait. I'm sorry, I, was just li- I was I see I was, what you're doing.
2: You're holding your mic
1: like this. Your yeah. words I- are flying. I'm sorry. It was it.
2: only because I was reading. I'm sorry um it's not that i did it only because i was reading um, nobody needs. To i want to say though, though there was that there there's a part about how accurate it is and it doesn't talk about the false positive false negative rate but it does show a study where over like 16 percent of the women in the study received unnecessary antibiotics which is a crazy risk,
1: because that's the hospital's side of better safe than sorry
2: So let's do our.
0: Oh, no, we're not reading a birth story. You were telling a birth story about a streppy,
1: your streppy baby. So, you know. This it's, is our birth story of the week. Of the week. And just it's, a
0: reminder, if you want your birth story told as our birth story of the week, send it to wineaboutbirth at gmail.com. And this <laughs> is not w- like.
1: <laughs> There's
0: no <laughs> www.
1: It's not like one of these awesome stories where we read. It's just like, let me share with you the fact that this does happen. Yeah. So I've had two instances. Um, one mom, I promised I would always have her in mind when I'm talking about group beta strep. Her water, she's GBS positive, and her water was broken for 12 hours mm-hmm. and when her labor finally started her baby's heart rate was was high it was like in the 160s to 180s which is a sign of infection yeah. and we ended up transferring to the hospital now that baby you never, transferred super early too. yeah like yeah
2: I, I didn't even get to the house
1: before you no transferred. but the point of this is that the baby was showing signs of infection during the birth and then postpartum had to receive IV antibiotics for 10 days and that family it's such it's such a sweet like natural family stuck in the hospital, bringing in their own food because they don't eat stuff like that. And it was just, she said, I wish I had done the antibiotics. I wish you would have, you know, maybe I, pushed harder.
0: I do want to say though, that it's like when people go through trauma, it's like, what could I have done differently? Yeah, right. But there's a very real chance that had she gotten antibiotics and labor, the outcome wouldn't have changed
1: right no but i told her like yes i will include your story yeah. when i'm teaching so i'm including her very short version of the story right now yeah because it was awful are you meredith are you leaving for a birth <laughs> yes right now
0: uh probably well, okay. we only the, have like five more minutes
1: left okay in this All episode, right. so. okay so my my i've only had one baby get sick from this gbs is, you
2: shouldn't rush i should leave if you're going to feel the need to rush. So I'm not rushing.
1: So I'm not going to give all the details of the birth because this isn't one of those, Hey, can I tell your story kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so I can only give a gist of it, but this mom was ruptured. She was GBS positive Mm -hmm. in her urine in the beginning. Yep. In her urine in the end. And her vagina in the end. So it showed
0: she had high levels of colonization. She
1: had high levels of colonization, and this was one of those where I actually did encourage antibiotics. So if you are in my practice and you have GBS in your urine and in your vagina, I will likely encourage antibiotics, and you can decline those. You know, you can decline if you would like. That's That's your right to do that. Informed consent. Um, She decided not to do the antibiotics, long story short, for some reason which I'm not going to get into, we ended up staying at the center for six hours instead of three. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Most, most moms leave somewhere between three and six hours. So we happened to be there for six hours and everything was perfect. As we're getting ready to discharge, I'm watching her nurse. And she had commented about baby blowing little spit bubbles. But I've seen that before when they're nursing and they're spitting it out. So I wasn't really worried about it. But as I'm watching her nurse, the baby's color just slowly started to get not right it just looked off it just looked off and it was happening right before my eyes so I just kind of got up real quick and walked over and said hey can I hold her for a second and the color just kept getting worse yeah so at the end and and this is just the short version this baby just was slowly shutting down right before my eyes she
0: turned blue and stopped breathing no warning Yeah, yeah no
1: warning at all and so, of course, I yell for the nurse and we do what we need to do. We safely transfer. They were transfer. able to like
0: do positive pressure ventilation and get enough air into the baby while you right.
1: transferred. But what had happened was that over the six hours, baby developed GBS pneumonia. Early onset. Right. And the scary part to me is typically when moms go home, they have a nap. Yeah. You know, everything's great. They're discharged. Baby's vitals are perfect. Um, They go home, they have a nap, and then we're texting each other. There's a really good chance that they would have been sleeping when that happened. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, holy shit, that kid could have died if you were at home. I'm not saying not to have a home birth for the love no, of God. No, and
0: I, I, <laughs> I that could happen at the hospital it could too, because they're it, not transferring the happen. baby. They're not trans. They're not watching the baby right. every. And second it does at the happen hospital. at the
1: hospital because babies. You're not allowed to sleep with your baby. You have to have the baby mm-hmm. in its own little, yeah, um, whatever they're called incubator, the, isolate, or yeah. whatever. Oh, that's right. It is so, called so it could happen when your baby, when you're sleeping and baby, because yeah. they do come in every couple hours. But just, I was shocked. I'd never seen a baby get sick so fast. Yeah. And of mm-hmm. course, we have only low-risk moms so I was like holy god this could actually happen like holy god this baby just turned blue right before my eyes and thank goodness I was there so the point of this story is just that it does happen it does like it's not it's not a risk that we're saying is not a risk right and it's still your right to refuse the antibiotics And and
0: we still always wonder again like would that have happened had she gotten the antibiotics, it could have maybe been because late she onset. had such high levels, maybe she, they, it wouldn't have happened at six hours. Maybe it would have happened right. at 18
1: hours. And it's yeah. possible that the antibiotics so, would have just killed enough for which, that amount of time. Which Not is like, why
0: it's so hard to put definite answers onto that situation. And, and the what-if
2: game is so hard as a parent, so that's why you just have to make those decisions that make you feel like you're doing your due diligence as a parent. And
1: all these statistics are all the statistics the ones that you find on um the cdc and the whatever website meredith keeps reading from evidence-based birth, evidence-based birth like all of these statistics are based on the results that we know of but because it's so transient these some of these statistics could be based on moms that are actually gbs positive or i'm sorry gbs negative and we have no idea yeah so this is why we're saying do your own research and make the decision that makes you the most comfortable
0: that's right informed consent is so So important important. well it's time to wrap up this episode about strep b um we we hope we gave you a little bit and i'm like no it's actually we're we're going over time the mom is pushing Oh, God, okay. So, uh, Why are you still here? Get so out She's
2: technically laboring down. She's not pushing. So cheers! Okay. Cheers! is go cheers. To your I'm, birthday. Birthday. I'm sorry, you're like, and we already have five cheers. Cheers. cheers! Get out of here, Meredith.
1: Go have a damn baby. Oh, my God.